Welcome to the show. I'm Mikey. And it's your girl Zay Day. We are two social justice warriors dedicated to dismantling systems of oppression through a black, black queer, queer feminist lens. Feminist lens. Yes, this podcast will cover a variety of topics ranging from politics in our country to which new bop you can twerk to. Hey. <laughs> yep. And while we're twerking, y'all can start following. Search Black to the Future on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join in the conversation. And don't forget to leave positive reviews for us on your streaming platforms. Yes, please leave positive reviews. With the reach of this podcast, we desire to change the world one episode at a time. Yep, and I think it's time we get started, don't you think? Yep, let's get it! The The past past is gone, gone. the present present is an adventure. adventure. Looks like it's time to to go go black to the future. future. Cue the theme music. Mm. Y'all. Dropping every Thursday on the hour of the 12. Yeah. Breaking all the curses, creating family well. Yeah. Saving my community, my passion is your help. Yes, I am a teacher, but I do not myself. Looking at the world through a feminist lens. Dub in her trash, no recycling bin. Women are superior, we're gonna get our wins. Category clothes, the girls get their tins. Transphobic thoughts are shaky, they wobble. Homophobic creeps left behind, they dawdle. LGBT on pose, yeah, they model. Black to the future, we stay popping models. Like a dark, like a dark, showing the world who we are. The past is gone, the present is out. Let's go for show, black to the future. We going. Hey everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Black to the Future. And I know I told y'all that Mikey might not be here, but he is not here. I know y'all miss him. Don't don't shoot me. He'll be back. I didn't get rid of my promise. But I'm here. <laughs> I am joined. Yes, you can hear. I'm joined by another lovely guest, and I'm so excited because like we went to college together, but we didn't really like talk like that. But I'm so excited because of all the work that they do. So today I have Romeo Jackson. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm exhausted. Like I think most of us, you know, I've told myself I'm going to stop lying about how I'm doing. So I'm tired, exhausted, over it. Um, and simultaneously, I feel very loved and cared for by lots of people. So I'm holding some gratitude as well. Yes, praise them. Come through with it. <laughs> I, I'm, I told someone the other day, I was just like, I am tired. But I'm, you know, just like what we always do as black people, especially as black queer people, like we always just pushing through. So I'm gonna just keep okay. Pushing. And still I rise. I say it's still I rise multiple times a day. <laughs> and still I rise, like right. So there's no other way. That, I was like, I was like, I don't know how, but somehow still I rise. Okay. And 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 at some point you just have to stop asking yourself and just keep doing it and be like, okay, <laughs> keep pushing. Hello. So I wanted to um, make sure that um, we got your pronouns. And if you'd like to share your orientation with the class, you can do that. But if not, you ain't got to. Like orientation, like? Oh, like sexual. If you, if that's. Oh, if you... got you. Mm-hmm. Yes, I can. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, hi, uh, Romeo Jackson. My pronouns are they and them. Um, and I'm like super, super, super queer, super, super gay. Uh, Come on, super. Um, Super, super, as much as can be. Because let me tell you about these lipsticks that you be wearing. I'd be like, oh, my God. 
worn lipstick all year. Like every every time I see it, I'd be like, oh my god! And you'd be choosing the most vibrant, pretty colors and stuff. So I'd just be so excited. You know what's so funny? Um, well, I have like twenty things of lipstick that I'm like, I have to start wearing these. But I think one of the things because you know, growing up, like I was socialized as like a boy and then a man. Mm-hmm. Is that like I never like I knew dark skinned people got messages about not wearing bright colors, but that never clicked. <laughs> like especially with lipsticks, I was like, well, why would I not wear a, a bright blue? Like because that shit's gonna pop. Like what? And, and it do because you just and then you do your favorite pouty face. I'd be like, oh my god, they are tur-. like I I love it. Like I I be so self conscious about wearing bright color lipsticks. I just be like, let me just do the the traditional lip liner, some lip gloss, yeah. and I pooch like that's me. But you just like, girl, no, we taking it and we finna do all of this. Well, I was talking to my boss at one point. I was like, what's the point of wearing lipstick if no one's gonna notice it? Cause you know, my, somebody was like, oh, you should do like a nude lip. I was like, for what? What's a nude lip gonna do for me? Hello. <laughs> What you gonna do for me? Like nothing. So um, nothing, I'm, nothing. Again, I am so happy you here. Let me read this bio because Romeo has an impressive bio. So let me read this. <laughs> okay, so Romeo Jackson serves as the assistant director for social justice in student diversity and social justice, supporting education, outreach, and mentorship efforts. Romeo is also a part-time instructor in gender and sexuality studies. Wait, there's more. Hailing from the south side of Chicago and the grandchild of Gracie Lee Fowler. Jackson is a first generation queer non-binary femme and a black descendant of the estimated a million, 11 million, excuse me, Africans who were kidnapped and sold into enslavement. Wait, there's more. Jackson is a feminist dedicated to intersectional justice and cross-movement building. Their research, writing, and practice explores race and racism, settler colonialism, gender, and sexuality within a higher education context with an emphasis on the experiences of queer and trans students of color. And lastly, Jackson is committed to uplifting and empowering queer and trans people of color through a black queer feminist lens. Ah! And if you period per like, and I love that last part because that's exactly what our podcast is is about seeing life through the black queer feminist experience like this. And I always tell people, I'm like, if we just start focusing and centering ourselves in that way, and if the world kind of mm-hmm. started doing that, it would just vibrate outwards. So I know that's a long bio, but I, when I read it, I was like, girl, they out there <laughs> doing the work. Like, I love this. So um, thank you. I'm, I'm so happy and so proud of all that you've done and stuff like that. And you even threw in there, like, I know that your um, grandmother was very important to you as you do on your own. Um, social media posts. So I'm, I'm very happy that you're able to put that in there and to show mm-hmm. like your passion and love for her. So thank you for sh- allowing us to have that like little access to your life. Thank you. Yeah. I always have to talk about my grandmother, Gracie Lee Fowler. So, so powerful, so beautiful, so loving, so fierce, so unrelenting, so kind. Like there are days where I'm like, I'm like, fuck everything, burn the world down every white person needs to drop, like, you know, um, and I just think about, like, my grandmother was raised in the Jim Crow South, Mm -hmm. like, you know, damn near was a sharecropper, like, and if she could hold capacity and love for others, then, like, maybe I can, too, Mm. 
Um, and so, I mean, that's my homegirl, my ride or die, always and forever. I got a necklace with her name on it because I was like, I got to keep her with me at all times. So. Oh, so beautiful. I love that. My granny's kind of like that too, but she, mm. she, she, she a hard ass. Trust me. She, she was... Yeah. I, <laughs> that's not my great, that sounds like my great grandmother. <laughs> But I just, I'm, I'm, thank you for letting me read that long bio. They were like, don't read the whole thing. And I was like, I'm not just, just the parts that are really <laughs> awesome. So I love that you're educating and doing all this high education work and stuff like that. So before we go on, I wanted to ask, and you kind of talked about it already, how tired you are, but with all the things that's happening with blackness and as far as queerness and all these intersections and all these things that are happening in our country right now, how is your personal blackness doing right now, Romeo? Yeah, you know, it's, you know, it's so hard, like, you know, being black, queer, and trans people, it's like, we're always under attack, um, li like, literally, right, figuratively, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally, you know, we have this wave of anti-trans bills, mm. ramp, like, I, I think we're up to over 30, um, in 30 states that, you know, are going to do nothing but devastate the lives of trans kids and we know that anytime trans people are impacted black trans people are going to be disproportionately impacted mm. you know we are in the middle of a trial for the murderer of george floyd mm -hmm. we've had two black we've had a black baby and a latinx baby murdered by cops video you know it's mm. you know it's so much to bear witness to mm -hmm. you know it's so much to look at and so it's hard. It's sad. I mean, I cried this morning, mm. you know, because I just like, I was like, wow, like a 13 year old baby. <laughs> like, like I was like, that's a baby. A 20 year old is a baby. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, like I tweeted this, like, and that's not about being paternalistic, but that's just recognizing the ways that 20 is nothing. Right. You like didn't even get to years. experience anything. Yeah. So so it's really hard and what holds me, what keeps me grounded and rooted is partly the work I do. And that's all the work I do partly makes me feel like I'm doing something about it. But, um, you know, I think as black people, they try to really execute us and crush our spirits. Like, you know, in my bio, it felt, in my bio, you know, it felt important to name that I'm the descendants of, of enslaved people, mm -hmm. of slaves, mm -hmm. you know, because they tried to they like that's a genocide and we right. survived that right like we survived genocide right and we emerged from genocide with so much beauty and right. swag and you know like where the shit period like oh i and, and i i and thank you for saying all that one of my things about it is just like we don't went through all of this and no I wasn't there for all of them, but the ramifications and the and the, the ripple of effect it is is so grand and stuff. Like we still feel we still feeling it today. Like as we watch these trials, yep. watch these babies be murdered cold blood in the street for nothing. Mm -hmm. Watching my sisters, black other black trans women just be gone every day, just dropping, dropping, dropping. Yeah. So we done been through so much. So like mm -hmm. Uh, the, the power that we have to emerge from that and become like the culture like we like I always try to explain to people I'm just like we are the culture and a lot of white people that I'm friends with close with they be like yeah girl y'all kind of make everything happen I'm just like we've been making yeah. that happen since we got here like we built this and we still building but we just get no credit for it and it's really irritating so well and that's important too for cis black people to know like you know I tell people 
everything that's black culture, everything that's queer culture, black, queer, and trans people are at the center of it, right? Like, period, point blank. Where all these things that we think of as black, because, like, you know, I think in queer culture, like, there's something around, like, oh, yeah, like, you know, Kiki and mm-hmm. ballroom and, like, the slang. But that's also true in black communities as well, right? We're always at the center, no matter where we are producing, creating, resisting. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, so beautiful the way black Korean trans people take care of each other. And what a gift that we've taught that to others. Exactly. So, and with that, with those gifts, of course, they have to stem from somewhere. So I want to kind of jump into our next section where we're going to talk about your black story, like how you grew up and all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oof. Um- Tell us your black story, Romeo. Where did you grow up? Your family dynamic and all, and all that kind of stuff. Tell us, tell us, tell us. Yes. So let me start with Gracie Lee Fowler because my first memory of her is I'm walking down the aisle at Mount Zion Baptist Church on the south side of Chicago. Come on, Mount Zion. And, okay. and she is smiling. And I would like to hold that memory close because. I had a very hostile childhood that I'm going to talk about in a bit, but mm. one of the things, and why I love my grandmother so much, and why I love all my grandparents so much, you know, mm. I have two, two grandparents who are still alive, Richard Fowler and Barbara Fowler, um, as well as my great-grandmother, Ruth Lee Jackson, mm. um, I never felt unloved, mm. right? Like, I always knew someone or someone's loved me, mm-hmm. and I think that's a gift, right. um, because, you know, I... I spent a lot of time in Chicago growing up into around maybe, well, I moved between Chicago and suburbs, like North suburbs mm. for a while. And then I think when I was like 10, um, you know, permanently moved to Waukegan, which is a Northern mm. suburb. Mm-hmm. Um, but as you see from my bio, I consider Chicago home <laughs> and always have, right. And always mm. will. But, you know, it was a very hard childhood. Like, you know, most of my, before I was like eight or nine, 10, maybe we moved every six months kind of between, mm-hmm. um, my mom's parents. Um, those are my grandparents who are still alive mm-hmm. and, and my mom, like, you know, we'll be six months with our mom, six, you know, so it was very unstable, mm-hmm. um, very inconsistent around, I should really nail this down eight, nine or 10. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, um, moved in with my father and my stepmother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was cute for a couple years. Like it was real cute, actually. It felt very stable and grounding. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I always struggle with like how much of this is my business to tell and how much isn't. Ooh, well, um, don't be part of it. Well, you know, it structured my childhood, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my father being an alcoholic really structured my childhood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I experienced a lot of abuse, right, verbally and physically from him. Mm-hmm. And so it. It was terrible. And thank God for best friends. Mariah McKay is my homegirl. Like, thank Shout God out for to best her. friends. Shout out to her. Because without my grandparents and Mariah, I would be dead and gone. I'm convinced. I'm thankful because, for them. Because mm. it was so hostile, you know? It was mm. so, it was every day, like, you know, walking in the door, yelling, fighting the physical abuse. Mm. You know, um, one of the most salient memories is like, you know, I, me and my dad and little brother are walking to the uh, to the uh, metro station to come to Chicago, mm-hmm. and I don't know what happens. But he just like slaps me and I fall to the ground. Mm. Um, and you know it is 
it so that's just like one example of pretty much like every day mm-hmm. of what was happening and so i was around 14 and i started fighting back right so then it became just like physically like this dynamic was he just so, well if you don't mind me asking was he just abusive for the sake of being abusive and he was under influence of alcohol or was he working in like with another motive in, in addition to that like because you were a queer person yeah well i don't know i mean i'm sure you know i'm sure my queerness was like um from what i had heard or he was calling <laughs> everybody and their mama trying to figure out you know how to make sense of it mm-hmm. you know i at his time right i'm his oldest son you know in quotes son but mm-hmm. you know um and you know i honestly don't know why you know um you know when he's not drinking you know you know he's been sober since i went to undergrad at niu so that's almost when i got to like 10 years i was gonna say i don't know i try to forget (laughs) 10 years um you know ooh, child we is getting up there okay so uh, (laughs) but you know so he's been sober from what I understand for almost that time. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and before that, when he wasn't drinking, he was a very loving and caring father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, I, you know, my love of news and politics, I think come right from him, oh, okay. you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, we used to do all the, you know, we, we used to watch news and politics and we would talk about it together. So I don't know. And, and honestly, I think it's part, partly why it's hard to reconcile is that there's a lack of talking about, the violence and the hostility of the childhood where me and my mother have had, I think very frank conversations about the ways I felt very abandoned as a child by her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, that is, and my childhood is filled with love for my grandparents. Right. So it's this both and right. Like, I I mean, partly why I'm so staunchly like I'm still from Chicago is I spent most of my summers in Chicago um, with, with my grandparents. Like I would spend months with my grandmother, like, cooking and cleaning learning how to pick greens learning how to make this and make that Mm -hmm. and like you know my grandfather taught me how to play chess and spades you know like so right taught me how to like calm people a little bit how to do card tricks okay so we had the same we had the same grandparents okay just want to make sure (laughs) i mean yeah we all got the same grandparents basically so (laughs) so you know it so that was a that was a lot of it you know i went to middle school and high school in waukegan Mm -hmm. um and it i've always been read as smart and Mm -hmm. i think this is super important to like where i am today right because there's there's a trajectory where as a black queer loud femme child mm-hmm. that I could have been like dismissed and eradicated right like by educators right um, but because I've always you know they say articulate which you know we kind of like side eye now mm-hmm. um, as a, as a racial microaggression right but because I've always been able to articulate mm-hmm. complex thoughts to others right who value those things even as I academically didn't perform well, I think my teachers have always coded me as being worthy of like protection and mentorship. You know, um, in middle school, I was tracked into quote unquote, the worst section, the, you know, least academically rigorous because I test poor, right? Because tests are just racist in classes. Baby, Um, they don't want to hear it. but I got moved, right, to, like, one that was for, like, quote-unquote, the smart kids who really cared about school, right? So these are all things that are important because, you know, it, like, I describe it as 
it's a lot of luck and privilege and access has got me to where I am. Mm-hmm. And it's important to name that. Like, have I worked hard? Sure. But lots of black queer and trans people work hard. Like, working hard, like, lots of black people work hard. Like, my grandparents worked hard. Like, right. that's not representative of where I am today, but it has a lot to do with, frankly, a lot of white people deeming me worthy of mentorship, protection, and stewardship. Right. I, cause I, I got that as well. So I, I resonate very much with that. And granted, I wasn't loud. I was very quiet. I think I was still quiet mm-hmm. kind of in college. And I think mm-hmm. most of, most of because it was because I was being suppressed. And so right. that's how mine kind of showed up. And I resonate with the father thing where they didn't have the, we didn't, I don't think we had the language either, but they definitely didn't have any language to have that communication skills. And I was the oldest boy child too as well so I resonate heavily with that where it was like he was not understanding and so he would kind of act a certain kind of way towards me and you know what it's not about me it's gonna be about you it could be about us but I but I I resonate with that kind of energy as well and I think my mother was a safe haven as much as she was able to provide and I also think that my grandparents were also a safe haven as well where it was kind of like we may not know how to explain or understand everything that you're bringing to us with this queer identity or in my case this trans identity especially even now to this day it's still right it's still a little like we touch and go we touch and go trying to figure it out so I think that's important for us to recognize that they did the best that they could at that time and now I think it's our turns to kind of educate them to kind of you know push them forward so they can know some stuff so yeah no I definitely agree I think one thing about all of my grandparents that is grounding is like they don't they don't have to understand all of me to love me unapologetically Mm -hmm. and that's the lesson for me right I don't have to understand everybody 100%. I don't have to get it. I can disagree. Mm -hmm. I can be like, I don't know why you did that. But that doesn't mean that person isn't worthy of love and protection. Right. And I I think um, we we can talk about this kind of now. So I was going to ask about this next idea of of like you going into your figuring out who you are and and actually able to put like labels and words on it and stuff. Because you know in America, well in America, but in just the world, Putting labels on things helps us a lot. So when did you first recognize your queerness in that space so that you'll be able to have these conversations? So what was like your first instinct of like, girl, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) You know, oh my God. I, I, okay. There were a couple, but, um, so I, of course, used to sneak. (laughs) I used to like sneak Uh and watch like Noah, like Noah's Ark and Queer as fuck. Okay. (laughs) But, you know, I was just watching um, NCIS Miami the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, this cop propaganda, which we could talk about if you want to. But um, mm-hmm. I was watching NCIS Miami, and I forget his name. He's, like, Latinx. It's, like, Rodriguez is his oh, last name. Oh, Adam Rodriguez. That, okay, so ch- well, when I say turned me out Baby. in my little brain, I was like, oh, girl, I'm a fag. I was like, oh, I'm a <laughs> fag. <laughs> like oh shit i was like oh my so you know um and i so and it's funny because the first person i came out to was also mariah in middle school Mm. and i said i was bi because i thought that would make shit easier um i then (laughs) we all got the same story then you know i was like so then in high school i was just like oh i'm gay like gay gay and let me tell you Mm. people are always like why ride so hard for quote unquote 
ghetto hood black girls mm-hmm. because the ghetto hood black girls in high school had my back like nobody else when I came out. Right. They were like, girl, great, we don't care. And they were like, y'all better not fuck a Romeo. Like, shout out to the ghetto black girls because when I say the ride or die in high school, so that was high school, so I was gay for a long time. <laughs> I- then, you know, Oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, the, they do. The ghetto black girls are the ones that really kind of get you. They, But even if they don't have, like, the language, like, I like it, I, I didn't transition at that point. But I know a lot of ghetto black girls that will kind of run it and be like, if there's a trans woman or a trans girl that they're friends with, they're like, leave him alone. He's not, he not even messing with you. Like, they will exactly. heat you down, but they defending you like no other. And it's like, great. Thank you for doing that. Let's figure out the language, but like, <laughs> like right, let's figure out, let's figure out the language. Yeah, but thank exactly. you for defending me, and just like the, the 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 what I would call like the gumption or the or they just facing that. Like I think that black women specifically, I think that mm-hmm. like cis black women, they have been through it all. So it's just like when somebody mm-hmm. started coming for what they what they doing and, and they life and they friends and they family, they just like, I have nothing else to lose. I don't people done shitted on me my whole life. I'm not gonna just let you shit on this person right while I'm sitting right here. So that's gonna be a no go with me. Right. Well and it's the ways that black women in higher education have either done that as well or been some of the ones who have been the most oppressive, right? So mm-hmm. it's kinda wild. So when I got to NIU, it you know, I like Found the LGBT center, you know, I can, you know, to make a long story short, I was like, oh, I'm queer. Okay, that means something different for me. That feels more encompassing around my sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, I'm just not trying to fuck cis gay men. And then I was sitting in a trans studies course. Mm-hmm. It was funny. So, you know, being on binary was kind of wild because I was sitting in a trans studies course mm-hmm. having, a, having a whole breakdown. I was like... Oh. Because, you know, the dominant discourse, right, around trans people is like, oh, we're born in the wrong bodies and we have all this mm-hmm. body dysphoria. And I've never minded my body. Like, I've never had any issues with my dick. Like, um, and so I, for, like, for a long time, I thought, oh, so then I can't be that, right? I can't be right. trans because I don't experience body dysphoria, right? And that was the dominant discourse I had. Mm-hmm. So that trans studies course kind of broke that narrative apart, right? And so then I was sitting there like, damn, am I a man? I was like, that doesn't feel right and accurate anymore. I'm like, am I a trans woman? I didn't know what non-binary meant at the time. But I also think for me and part of my story (laughs) that a lot of, well, I don't say a lot, that some trans people kind of like give some side eye to is, you know, because, you know, there's a thing where like, oh, I was never a boy. And I said, well, like, no, I was. And Mm -hmm. I was perfectly happy. And and I was a boy. (laughs) And I was, right, I was. Like, (laughs) that, you know, for me coming into a, a non-binary identity was, of course, very personal and affirming to like how I was under how I was and am understanding my gender identity. Mm-hmm. But it was probably a theoretical exercise because I was like, well, shit, I don't. I was like, well, I don't want any. Right, all these things you say men do don't work. All these things that you say women do don't work. I want to wear a lip, a hoop, and a heel, and, and punch it. <laughs> and that fit, they them feels right, right. like accurate so no I and I love that and I think this is important for people to know because I think a lot of people especially now you probably find yourself having to overly explain everything over and over and over again and I try to always tell people I'm just like girl we had to learn this the same way you have to learn it right now and we live in this experience Mm -hmm. so that's the thing and it's like 
we luckily born in this time period where we can actually have the language and we able to, like you said, have the discourse around it. But like you figuring that out in college is like such what I feel like is like a normal thing. Like you should be learning that information in a space of like education. Like I think we should be having that kind of talk. And I think me and Mikey talked about this on a previous episode. It should be like this evolving conversation from like middle school through high school so that people can be able to, especially students and young queer people, be able to say, okay, well, this language, it feels right. And then they can see representation of it and da-da-da-da-da. It's like, I think that people be so afraid Mm -hmm. of like, if you see it, you're going to turn into it. I'm like, girl, you know how many... You know how many men I done watch knock a woman out and have sex with her and all kinds of inappropriate stuff. Right. I'm like, but I'm like, if that was supposed to be me, how come it didn't absorb into my brain? Like, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Well, like, and like I'm not straight nor cis, even though I was raised primary, I was raised almost exclusively by straight cis people, so that doesn't track. Right. So, well, I think part of it too is this, you know, because I think you know. Part of my work in higher education is really decentering higher education or any educational space as the producers of holders of, of knowledge and education. Mm-hmm. Because it, right, like like my grandfather is way smarter than I am. Like like my grandfather, like please, like I ain't got none on that man. <laughs> right, like I ain't got you ain't got none on that man. Like, um, but part of it too is so much of like we. What if I would have access to the language in that trans studies course in middle school and high school? how much less stress, anxiety, right? Um, harassment, frustration. Baby. I'll, I'll, you, and, and it's not even for you, it's for the people also in your immediate space. Because yep. this, this is this, you can disagree with this if you think so, or you can add more to this, but my thought process around it is people are so afraid and so nervous and so they don't know any of the information. So all they're gonna do is just lash out. So if they knew the information, if they knew the language, I feel like the likelihood of them lashing out may be decreased because they would have their own thought processes about it rather than what somebody told them, what they heard, or what they feel or what they think or whatever. So mm. so um, one thing I do when I do workshops around trans one-on-one stuff mm-hmm. is I have people reflect on the first time they remember seeing, hearing a trans person. Mm-hmm. Right, because, because because this is a critical step. Because for me, that's Jerry Springer, right? right. So so mm-hmm. right. And how does Jerry Springer tra- um, frame particularly black trans women? Right, liars hiding something, trick whoop de woo. You know, you get the cis black woman out here calling trans women a t word this and a t word mm-hmm. that with whoop de woo. Now, if that's your only knowledge about trans people in the world, and there's nothing else to counter that then what the fuck right so you know right. my, you know my mom my mom is so funny because you know when i came out homegirl was my ride or die she's like okay girl don't nobody care the first, thing <laughs> she asked, yeah, she, the first thing my mama asked me when i came out is if i was a top or bottom and i was like mom is that Shut like <laughs> oh i would have been yeah, mad i'd be like that's so late my mom mama. is like that black woman so <laughs> she's like you know but you know when i was in when I was in college learning about trans stuff, you know, mm-hmm. I was transformed and radicalized too, because I didn't know anything else about the Jerry Springer either. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, telling her something about bathrooms and trans people. I forget that conversation, but she was like, well, I wouldn't want your sister in a bathroom with a trans woman. Mm-hmm. Right, blah, blah. And, you know, one of the things we had to talk through was like, you know, well, mom, like, why do you 
think that. Mm -hmm. And if you say you love and accept me for being gay, then you have to accept trans women as well. Like, there's no, you know, and this is before, like, I was like, oh, I'm not binary. I I ain't a man. Um, But, you know, I was like, if you say you accept me, then you have to accept trans women particularly as well. Mm -hmm. So that was something we had to talk through, right? Because once again, my mom's primary interactions with trans people was was probably through Jerry Springer. Like, you know, so that's where I think well, I don't think that's where most of the violence comes from. I think a significant of in-community violence comes from that's the only frame we have of trans women, right? And mm-hmm. then particularly Black trans women in Black communities, right, that's what we have. Right. And so, you know, that's something, that's something like I'm trying to think more about, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to get my work out of the academy as much as possible and into communities directly. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways, like, damn, like, how do I talk to my, like, grandparents about trans stuff right. in a way that's, right? Like, I'm an academic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I'm trying to talk about things in very particular ways. Right. It's, it's kind of like, how do I even begin to, to even break this down? Like you said, the trans 101. Like, if anything, it should be like trans 99. Like, we go, <laughs> girl, we got to start at the base level. Like, and, and that's what I do on my YouTube series with Slay with Zay is what I do is like, tr- I try to start off as basic as possible because I'll be on Twitter sometimes and discourse will be in a thread, especially with black people. They'll be like, so is a trans man the one that's like this mm-hmm. and the trans woman is this one? And I would be like, oh, baby, y'all don't even know. Like, where to, <laughs> you, you don't even know where to stand to even begin to walk in this direction for this conversation. So I'm just like, let me yeah. let me root you in this. So I appreciate that work that you're doing on the outside and stuff like that. I think well, it's very important. Go ahead. Well, and I was going to add cis people have to know their gender right so it's not about understanding trans people right this is now this is a common misconception about all minoritized marginalized people of color women queer and trapper, mm-hmm. right like because it becomes like oh let me under let me understand black people right. well you didn't you didn't understand your whiteness first you need to understand what it means to be latinx first mm-hmm. you didn't you didn't understand what it means to be black first right like that is what you need to worry about because right. if you understand your race, your gender, your sexuality better, then minds become less of an issue, right? Because this is the way that the world is structured, right? Mm -hmm. We hate the imagined other, right? Right. We view it as defective, Mm. um, right? And so it's something to be quote-unquote fixed and corrected when really your anxiety is about me being a black queer and trans person is because you don't understand what it means to be a white cishet person. <laughs> she gonna talk too loud. They gonna they gonna be like, I know what it means, and then because you already know, I could I could see I could just see the redness in the face. Like I know what it means to be a cis white have person, except they won't even know what cis means. I think that's offensive. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> okay, okay, let's I, talk about it. <laughs> just you can't even have the the proper discourse around it, the proper conversation in that way because they don't even know what cis means. They think it's derogatory. Like girl. Girl. Like we finally figured, we finally got a word for, to help you to not have to be so uh, so uh, rude, I guess, in so many words. Because y'all like to be like, I'm regular, I'm normal, I'm the default. It's like, girl, if everybody right. was if everybody was the default, everybody would literally start there and move in a different direction. But nobody starts there. It's just that y'all think that everyone's going to start there for some reason. It's like people have yeah. different starting positions. Like every time you play Mario Kart. You're not in the same place every single time, are you? Hmm, no. Right. Okay, so girl, boom. Anyway. Yeah, no, exactly. And 
for me, when it's cis black women, it's so funny because cis black women don't have access to womanhood either. It's like, I mean, this is, the, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but Bell Hooks and LeBron Cox, was, this was years ago, mm. where we're having a conversation and you know, Laverne is high femme, right. and I do think Bell Hooks is femphobic, but that's a different story for a different day. Mm. But part of, but part of it, part of it is like, since Black women have also historically not have access to womanhood, right? Because womanhood is defined by white womanhood, right. and and for me, it's always a gag. <laughs> Let me give an example first, right? So what I mean by that. Let's think about enslavement for a second, or contemporarily TBH, because nothing very little has changed. Right. But one one of the markers of quote unquote womanhood is motherhood and and bearing and raising children, right? Come on. Now we know during enslavement, black women's children were snatched after birth and sold often, right. taken to other plantations as a means to break family ties. Contemporarily, we know black women's children are first off over policed and killed. I mean, like let's. I mean, first. Hmm. But then also, we know that welfare services disproportionately snatching up black babies from their black mothers, okay? Mm-hmm. So black women cannot structurally even perform the basic requirement of quote-unquote white womanhood and femininity in the U.S. Girl, you ain't, you ain't got access to womanhood either, sis. Right. So we, you, you over here trying to come for us? Like, you over here trying to fight for access to something you ain't got anyway. Girl, they don't, like... Baby, and and I think that's hard for them to hear because I think they've been so oppressed for so long. I think that's hard for them to digest, and they and especially me as a black trans woman, I never try to make them feel like, girl, you're gonna have to like get it together. But at the same time, you're gonna have to get it together because there's one sliver of something that's gonna save that's the saving grace for you that I don't have. So I want mm. you to have that cis privilege and use it. And I think because they've been pushed down because they're black because they're women. I think because of all of those things and they've been harassed and tortured and all this kind of stuff, it's hard for them to think of someone being worse off than them. And I'm just like, um, but we're here. <laughs> we here, girl. And I and I want you to join forces with us. Like we like we're not trying to hurt you. If anything, like what I like to say is just like we modeled ourselves very much after you, after our mothers, our aunties, our good girlfriends mm-hmm. and stuff. Like me as a black trans woman, a lot of what I do comes from my mother, from my grandmother, from like my right. good girlfriends that I grew up with. And, you know, and of course the nine the 90s um, black woman, like where the crop top and, yeah. the, and no oh, yeah. waist long hair, that is my fantasy. That's what I'm living for. So yeah. that's, that's kind of why I kind of like, I'm, I believe in you and I, and I connect with you. I want you to do the same thing for me. I want to be reciprocated. So. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I I would say I haven't thought super deeply about this. I know Angelica Ross just did a conversation with cis and trans black women mm. um, that I would like really encourage folks to look up because I think it, I think it was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think it's like and I think this is true when you um, when you've had to fight so hard to carve out a space for yourself mm-hmm. and your people. You become very protective and, de- and defensive of that space, right. even at the detriment to yourself and other people, right. right? So if I've tied my, or if I have been fighting for access to womanhood for centuries, mm-hmm. and I see these other people showing up trying to access that as well, mm-hmm. right? That could bring up some things. Right. So I would, have, I would have people like go find that video and really watch it, because I think there's some 
great, great nuggets in there about how black cis and trans women can be in conversation and community in, in better ways and primarily how cis black women can get their shit together. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And there's another one I want to throw on there. I, you know, Hope Giselle, uh, I, she had a conversation on her podcast, Can We Talk? And she also had a, a, a two part. It was it was a nice, I think it was almost a three hour conversation of cis and black, yes. uh, cis and trans black women together having discourse and dialogue around it and stuff like that. And they talked about sports and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, they think in some in some situations they think we're stronger and da da da. So there's just so much around it. And and in so many words, if you've never encountered it, I can understand why it'd be scary or, or, or fucking irritating to be like, damn, there's this new kind of bitch that's going to be better than me or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I get that fear and the ability to be replaced in so many words. And so I understand that fear, but I'm just like, I want them to know, like, we on your side, girl. We draw inspiration mm-hmm. and we, we, draw, we draw all our love from you. You know, mm-hmm. we, like to me, they taught me how to be the woman that I am right now. Mm. That's very generous of you because I don't understand it, but uh, but that's very nice. That's very, nice. That's very generous. That's very generous. That's very nice because because look, okay, and here's why I say that because it's not like I know everything and like I don't have like to, I gotta learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I often encourage people too is like because this is how we get from like um, what I kind of think about as like having a critical analysis of a thing mm-hmm. towards a critical consciousness of the world around us is when I encounter shit I don't get that brings up a big reaction for me, mm-hmm. my first thing is to shut the fuck up, mm-hmm. right? Because it's like, I got to figure out why I'm having that big reaction first, mm-hmm. right? I need to do some self-work, some self-reflection. Introspection. And then I need to go fucking read, right? Because part of it is like, or you can study, listen, you know, you know, the girls on Twitter are saying that some of the people who go read can be problematic. So read, listen, <laughs> um, observe, you know, whatever you got to do to mm-hmm. learn and study. Um, that is critical, right? Because when I encounter um, people, mm-hmm. ideas, topics that are foreign to me that bring up something really intense, mm-hmm. I used to like react verbally to that and, and like pop off and say wild shit to people, mm-hmm. right? Like, and be fucked up, right? So let's be clear, like, like I mean, we're all still problematic, but I was like very, very problematic. Like, Romeo was just um, like, and you finna get a read, and you finna get a read, and you finna get a read. <laughs> Miss girl, have a seat, mama. Boo, boo, boo. Right. <laughs> but like, so that's why I say like, that's very generous of you because I think like particularly for people who purport to care about the liberation of all black people, mm-hmm. um, then we have to be able to recognize when our internal reactions are coming from a place of unknowing mm-hmm. and that we need to go pick up a damn book or something to like read more. You know, for me, this was really around disability. Like uh, I'm very mm-hmm. able-bodied in mind, right? Like that's just, you know, and that is probably why I've been able to access spaces I've been able to access. That's important to name too, particularly higher education and academy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I went to Utah for grad school, which was a hot mess and yes, Utah is as bad and as white as you think. Because I was um, going to say, I'm like, I don't... Every I'm, image that came to your mind was accurate. <laughs> now, I, more power to you. Um, when, I, right, when I was in deep community with queer disabled folks, mm-hmm. my ass had to go read, okay? Because I knew I was just fucking up and causing harm, right? Because I no framework for that right. kind of um, analysis of the world, right? And that was my responsibility. If right. I say I care about the liberation of queer and trans people... And I'm trying to be in deep, intentional community with queer and trans-disabled people. Mm-hmm. Then I got to pick up a book. 
gotta pick a book up, Miss Mama, or go listen to an audio book, whatever, whatever, whatever your. Mm-hmm. No, I, I like that, and I think that I'm not going. I'm not going to leave myself out. Like, there's stuff I can definitely read more about. There's stuff. Um, and then there's also a thing that I have to recognize too. There's going to be a certain threshold that I cannot cross because I am not disabled. I'm not Latinx and things like that. So there's certain things I can never cross. And if I want liberation to happen, I'm going to have to read up and get the information from the horse's mouth, so to speak. So tell me, tell me, tell me all y'all struggles. Tell me what y'all go through so I can be more cognizant and cognitively aware of what I'm doing, how I'm saying things and all that kind of stuff. And people be like, I don't want to walk on eggshells. I'm just like, the people who are having the, the, they're disabled or if they're a queer black trans person or whatever the case may be, they've been walking on eggshells this entire time and y'all mm-hmm. just been living comfortably free. And then as soon as they get a little bit like, I'm here, I'm confident, I'm proud of who I am. Oh no, now I got to be careful because I have to pay attention to what I'm saying. It's like, girl, you should have been doing that from the gate and now you feel like something is wrong. Like you're going to have to learn this stuff too. And so... I, w- I do yeah. want to talk more about like your higher education standpoint because I know you have a lot to say about that. So, <laughs> so <laughs> I do have a lot to say about that. <laughs> okay, so can you talk more about like your higher education standpoints, particularly as it pertains to blackness, of course, and queerness and womanhood and feminism, all that kind of stuff. So what are your thoughts, feelings, opinions? such a big question um let me let me start with kind of why i decided to go into student affairs um so um look at like we've said i went to undergrad at niu and like my first week on campus met molly holmes she was director of the then lgbt center now the gender sexuality center and i was like oh wow like I want her job one day, you know? <laughs> um, and Molly's my homegirl to this day. You know, we still talk, we still keep up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Molly was really impactful for me in my life. Like, totally one of the most caring, loving relationships I have to this day. Mm-hmm. But probably why I also went into student affairs was like, I didn't want to do some other stuff. Like, I thought, I, like, I had some internships in DC. I thought I was going to be a DC policy gay. Mm. Hated that took some internships with some nonprofits. I was like, this ain't for me either, mm. you know? So student first also felt like the last public sphere thing I could do mm-hmm. where at that time I was like, well, I can say racism and like not lose my job probably. Mm. Um, so was, you know, at that time that was important. So then I went to uh, Utah for grad school at the University of Utah, which, is, which has a 1% black population, by the way, correctly staff and students. Ooh, and like, I always say, like, you know, I went to Utah and got in my black organizing bag because it had no other choice, right? right. Like, helped to co-found a black cultural center there, started, co-founded a black um, cultural, uh, black programming series group, did stuff with the Black Writers Student Association, worked with the BSU that, you know, because mm-hmm. I was like, it was wild, right? So it really like sharpened and pulled my blackness into focus in ways that it hadn't because I always had access to a lot of black people. Right. Like, you know, that was never a thing. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why I went into student affairs and higher education. And I always knew it wasn't forever, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it can't be, you know, it's really hard doing so like diversity and equity work right. in higher education but my primary i have like two primary critiques 
One is that we think of higher education as inherently good, mm-hmm. right? We think of public higher education as inherently good. Um, and that distorts not only the ways, right, that institutions, particularly land-grant institutions like NIU, like the University of Utah, like UNLB, where I currently work, mm-hmm. are on stolen settler land from the Moorhan Act, right? And that indigenous people were executed for these institutions to be here. Yeah. And also public good for who? Right. So that's the right. public good for who? Because we know that black queer and trans people are navigating these systems and they're killing us literally and figuratively. Right. They're disabling us. Mm-hmm. Right. Like one of my closest friends in Utah, um, I won't spill their tea because I ain't got permission, but, <laughs> you know, they were like two of my closest friends were, were pretty much kicked out of our master's program. Right. Pretty much connected to their identities in tangible mm. ways. So. The, and this note, you know, and I mean, I don't like conservatives for lots of reasons, but <laughs> one, of the, one of the things that are kind of wild, they're like, oh, higher education is so liberal. Girl, no, it's not. Girl, right. it's so progressive. No, it's not. No, it's not. Who told you that lie? <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Who said that? Right? Like, that's, not rooted in, that's not rooted in any research from higher education scholars. Right. That's my first thing. Like, higher, educa- higher education ain't all that. Mm. Right. Like, and, and we have to get real about that very quickly mm-hmm. because you know we're sending so many people to higher education and like they're not getting access to jobs because guess what racism right like hello um my other one is around my research so like i i, know, I pretty much track right now what i'm primarily looking at is the current state of lgbtq research in higher education mm-hmm. with attention to kind of like anti-blackness and solar colonialism mm. And shocking no one, right? These white queers don't care about engaging anti-blackness or solo colonialism. No. But primarily, That's too hard. I ask the question, my my central question, because so much of higher education stuff is like, let's be inclusive. Let's include people. Well, why would I want to be included into a solo colonial, anti-black, anti-queer and trans violent institution? Mm. I don't want to be included in that mess. Baby. It, when you when you when you say it like that, it, it gives very like, girl, did I just like waste my <laughs> <laughs> like did I waste my dollars? Like did I did, is that what the doll did? But go ahead. Is, is the debt worth it? I think it's a real conversation we have to have with people, right? Because and you know part of this, right? Like I, you know, I will talk to like high school students all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And the only message they've gotten is go to college, right? right? Like I was told go to college, you will make more money, mm-hmm. right? Take the debt. It'll be worth it. You can pay it back. Yeah. That's not true for the majority of black queer and trans people navigating higher education and graduating. Period. And so we have to be clear about that mm-hmm. because for a lot of people, they didn't waste their time and money. I'm like, baby, you better take your ass to trade school and go be an electrician. If you want to make money quickly with a, with a degree, go do something else in trade school. Right. Because, you know, and I mean, I obviously work in higher education. I'm getting a PhD. I'm not right. Like I am in higher education mm-hmm. primarily because I like the context. Mm-hmm. I just want a job where I can read and write and think and teach. Mm-hmm. And being a professor can give me some of those things. Right. It can also it can also happen outside of higher education as well. And that's something I had to get clear about recently, very quickly. Mm. Right. So, so part of it is like there's this myth about higher education, and particularly. You know, it's, 
I never recruit people. I don't recruit black people to come to higher education. You want to come, I'll, I'll help you. I got you. Mm-hmm. We can talk about it. You know, I love you. We can do this. But people be like, go. Re-. They don't let me do recruitment events anymore because I was telling people to like, why are you come in here? Go to a community college. You can probably get a refund check, girl. What? And no loans. And they was just like, like, um, you can't do that, baby. You just like, well, I'm just letting them know what the options. Are. And I think that's something that's very. <laughs> important because I think especially as black people because we've been held out of so many institutions and all that kind of stuff and they just and I was definitely under the impression at a young age like school 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 and then obviously Mm -hmm. school is gonna you know education like you said higher education specifically is going to rectify all that student loan debt and all that kind of Mm -hmm. stuff people gonna hire you and block a block of blue and all that carrying on and it's just like, that sounds cute on paper, but like you said, girl, racism. When you get to the, when you step up to the establishment and you happen to have a beautiful black name and then, right. you, ha- and then you have Sarah Evans next to you and she, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, I'm not gonna give her no characteristics, but her name's Sarah Evans. Like you already like at a disadvantage in that way because the institution wasn't designed to process you the same kind of way. So. There was a study. Mm-hmm. Right, so there was a like they they what are they was this stereotypically black sound? I don't know how they phrased it, but it was a black name. Shit, can we be real? Okay, it's a, we all know what the fuck we mean. We say black names, okay? Like right. I ain't gonna get caught in that. Like what's a black question? Mm-hmm. But whatever. So there there was a black name. There was a white name. There was some resumes. The black applicant had a college degree. The white applicant did not. Mm-hmm. White applicants without college degrees were more likely to be hired than application with a black family name. I got more for you. Black people with college degrees still accumulate less wealth than whites with no college degrees. This is what I tell people. Like, I don't know what people thought higher education was going to give us Negroes, us (laughs) niggas, okay? But it's a failed promise. It's a failed exercise. And our people built in these institutions, literally. Mm -hmm. The Ivy League that people hold up as some kind of like glory you know who built that little enslaved black labor on settler stolen indigenous land let's talk about it you know who works the halls cleaning who were in the most precarious situations during coronavirus at our institutions custodial staff who are disproportionately women black and brown Mm -hmm. my ass got to work from home last year as an administrator right so like then i'll tell people it's like well let's just get clear about what it is or isn't can you flip the game and come to higher education and make it work and make a stack? Sure. But, but don't pretend like that's automatically going to happen just because we matriculate, we graduate, right? Like, that's, that has me fucked up. And, and, <laughs> like, and, and it should because just the, the I, I don't think that people rationalize the fact that, yes, there are correlations, especially for white people, obviously, for if you have you have a higher de- if you have a degree in higher education, your likelihood of, is, mm-hmm. of getting a job is going to go up. It's not like duh, like that's that's just a, a thing that's how the country is designed. And then more so than that, like I like to tell people, and like my mother, she works in corporate America. Like she's got two masters. Like she's that girl. She's like mm-hmm. education, education, education. Right. So when I went to school, did it Like she was like, you need to get a master's. You need to get a p. Like you know, she was giving me all of that. And I'm okay right. with it, but I'm just like, I don't know if I want to be in school for that long. And then, right. And then, because I'm like, she's she's the girl that likes school. I'm like, girl, I ain't trying to do all that. Right. <laughs> I mean, I like school too. Baby. That's right. 
but but well, they the the idea that that piece of paper and all that work you know I'm putting is going to be equal to that of like a white counterpart. It's just not that because my mother has told me plenty of times that I know this to be true that like you said they don't have to have a college degree. They just got to have the hookup so to speak. Mm-hmm. All they got to know is daddy's best friend who knows this whatever whatever so they can get into yeah. these establishments and push through and kind of halfway through like just because your name and your connection and your notoriety and the only reason, we, only reason black people can't do that feasibly is because we don't have people in those positions because we haven't been given those opportunities. But it's also the generational wealth, mm-hmm. right? So this is the thing. So, right, so mm-hmm. when so when the U.S. expanded west, right, colonized Mexico, you know, did all, you know, manifest destiny their asses <laughs> all the way to, the, to, to fucking California, okay. okay, like, and stole indigenous land and executed indigenous people and then got our black asses to work the land for free, right, through enslavement. Mm-hmm. White people were giving out land willing, like, the Moorhead Act is wild. People gotta read it. It's wild shit. It's like, hey, white person, mm-hmm. if you take your ass to the West mm-hmm. to, quote-unquote, um, tame and domesticate this wilderness land as if there weren't millions of indigenous people here mm-hmm. then you can have that patch of land for free these are poor whites right so let's be clear Baby. now these poor whites pass their land down 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 mm-hmm. and that's wealth like this is the weird part you're like people are like oh my granddaddy my granddaddy came here as an immigrant and worked in the factory and now blah 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 niggas couldn't get jobs in the factory let's like that it. is what's that that is what's at stake mm-hmm. and so it's also like, so it's definitely those informal, informal networks that you talk about that give people act, you know, because these, were, okay, this is the last thing, because I can do this all day. I'm getting riled up. I, 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 I can see you, you're just like, oh, she asked me these questions and I'm thinking right, and it's right, hot. And- right, because white people are so delusional about affirmative action, mm. right? Less, like delusional about how it works, its manifestations, blah, blah, blah. But what's particularly insidious about higher education discourse is that Ivy Leagues have things called legacy admissions, Mm. right? So that's like, oh, if your daddy and mama went here, you get a few extra points to go there for admissions. Now, we've seen with this scandal of these white celebrities buying their kids into school, then you can buy your child into Harvard. You can buy your child into the University of Southern California and Yale. You can donate a million dollars, right? You know, that's how Captain's Orange ass got um, to the college she got into, right? Not you know, Captain that's how Jared Kushner's ass got into the college she got into. And so it is like part of it too is like we think these things are merit based. Mm-hmm. Nothing about higher education is merit based. That's a fantasy. Baby. That's like it's a fantasy. And and it would be so nice for it to be on equal playing field and equal footing and stuff like that. But it's just wasn't designed to be that way. And I think that's the most problem that most white people have with this whole thing. They're just like, well, you get to go to college on a scholarship. Well, girl, you get to not even try and get to go to the fucking school. I have Period. to tr- I have to try, keep a certain GPA and do all this extracurricular stuff in order to be even considered. Meanwhile, you just got to know your daddy's best friend. Well, and I, and for poor whites, right? So then it becomes, where they're like, well, I'm poor. I just probably don't have that. It's like the cultural capital of whiteness mm-hmm. ain't nothing like it. And I get and I get you're poor and I get you struggled and I yeah, girl, and, and, and but you know what yo people did? They gave up class solidarity to access whiteness. Right. And so we have to grapple with that, right? It's like, 
Girl, ain't nobody saying your life is rainbow ponies and sunshine, but what I am saying, but what I'm am saying mm-hmm. is that when you get to higher education and you're white, a white person sees you, they mentor you, they support you, you get access to those networks that black people may never get access to. Right. One of the ways I've been able, I've been so quote unquote successful in higher education, I'ma keep it real. White people like me. They're just like, hey, they're like, oh Romeo's blah blah blah. Like, go here, go there, do this. Right. And it's like I have to be real about that. Because I'm not some magical Negro, mm-hmm. right? Like, who just, quote-unquote, made it. Like, it is about access to Molly's whiteness, mm-hmm. right? Access to uh, my undergraduate advisor's whiteness, mm-hmm. right? And and with the cultural capital of whiteness, that, and there were lots of black people who also supported me through higher Christian as well. I don't want to mm-hmm. sell that short, right? But when I was at NIU, almost after my first semester, mm. And it took Molly knowing someone mm. to connect me with and scholarships and financial aid for the entire five years I was at NIU yes. for, for, me, mm-hmm. for me to graduate. And what if I would have not known Molly? Like, that's the issue, right? Right. And I think that people just don't recognize that because I could say the same thing. I won't, I won't relate it to higher education per se, but in when it comes to the job sphere, because after you graduate from college, you're supposed to have all these mm-hmm. people being down the door to hire you and stuff like that. So it's like, great, I'm going to try to do all these applications. Oh, no, your name is Daquan. We're not going to make, make it work. Oh, your name is Chandrea. We're not going to make it work for you, boo. Right. Like, and so they give you that, and they'll be like, no, you're just not as qualified. But they'll pick Sarah Evans. Okay, work. So <laughs> I, I had the same kind of experience when it was coming to applying for different places. It was just like, no, girl, no, girl, no, 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 no. So then, of course, mm. it took for me to get, like, even the position that I have now. I'm so thankful and blessed to have this position. But it took me to know a white person to get to where I am now. There was there was no direct connection. And so the work that I do now is going to be, like, cyclical, where it's like I help black people, especially black queer people in this particular way. And they're going to come back and they're going to do a program and then they're going to be able to connect more black queer people. So it's a cyclical effect where we right. center ourselves rather than waiting for a handout from white people. Although it's a nonprofit and I know it's, you know, still white centric and da 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 da. It's still the fact of the matter. I feel like I'm doing what I need to do. But like I said, it's like you get your degree and you start going doing what you need to do and they still gonna pack you. So Right. Yeah. And I and you know, this is something I think about so much because there there are so many ways that you know proximity to whiteness mm-hmm. um allows me to navigate higher education particularly and particularly that and particularly in higher education student affairs you know white women have opened all kinds of things up mm-hmm. right like and it and for me it's always important to name that because it's not Romeo worked hard. I mean, I worked hard, sure, <laughs> but like, there's so much more there that right. has to be explicitly talked about in name. Right. Like, explicitly. Like, I allowed myself to be tokenized to get into spaces. Maybe. Um, I allow, like, you know, I allow myself to be exploited to get into places. And, you know, for a while, I didn't know I was doing it. Then it became kind of a proactive choice, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that comes at a cost as well, right, to our spirits. Mm -hmm. And I I think that's something that they don't. And that's what I was told, especially cishet white people and also cishet black people, is that you don't have to think about certain things. And that's great. 
you know, when it comes to this situation, we're talking about like um, higher education and blackness and things like that. Of course, we all have to think at the same capacity, but there's a there's a couple components that you as a cis have black person don't have to think about. You don't have to think about when you get to the interview, are they going to be like, girl, no, because we can see your Adam's apple, da, 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 or whatever they want to say. Or if they, or you're like, you wearing this certain kind of attire, we're not feeling that. Or your voice is this way. Whatever, however they want to discriminate in that kind of vein. If they haven't had the education or if they're just, you know, transphobic, homophobic, whatever they want to, however they want to show up in the world, unfortunately. So I'm like, there's this little sliver and that's the privilege that, you know, that they don't want to own up to. Like, y'all gonna have to hold that. (laughs) We love you. We can hold you accountable, though. Hold this and hold this at the same time. Like, you can do both. This is a both-and world. Yeah. Or just imagine logging on to your class roster and it's your dead name. It's the wrong name. Every single time. Right? I mean, these are the little ways and big ways that we say this institution is not for you, trans person. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't even my take- gender can't be reflected accurately. My name can't be reflected accurately. My pronouns are they're not um, taken into consideration. You read my dad name off the roster. Like, I'm on Canvas. I can't change my name on Canvas. because You know, so I got to reset it every day mm-hmm. because it resets at midnight. Ooh, child. I just, mm-mm. <laughs> anyway, we're going to get frustrated and get bad. So let's, let's move on to something a little bit more interesting. Not interesting, but a little more fun, I would say. A little bit more lighthearted. I was like, okay, I was having fun. You know, <laughs> this, is what, this is what I study. So I was like, I was having a good time. <laughs> okay, so I, I, thank you for sharing all your thoughts and feelings in, in the discourse around, you know, being a Black queer trans person in the higher education field. And there's so there's, there's so much more to say. It's, I don't think it's mm-hmm. going to be in... Um, an endless conversation. It's just going to keep going and, and keep going. And unfortunately, what I always tell people is that I don't think we're going to get to see the fruits of our labor in our lifetime necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think we're working for not these kids that's below us, but the ones that's like in elementary, like right now. Those are who we're trying to work for so they can have an easier time. And so speaking of like, just like going back in time and all that kind of stuff. So we kind of talked a little bit about like your coming out process and all that kind of stuff. And that's fun. That's beautiful. And that's grand. But I want to, I want to talk about some of the drama and the conflama. <laughs> and so of course, as soon as you invite these people into your life as a particular, as a black queer person, the drama ensues. Let's talk about niggas. <laughs> <laughs> So can you tell me what what's what's what is what is it giving? Are you happy? Are you satisfied? Do you even want them? Do you hate them as much as I do, but need them terribly? What is what is your life like? Please tell us. I'm I'm screaming. Well, I have two I, I have two partners. Yay! Um, yeah, so, um and it so and we're open and I'm Holly and so you know I'm you know ho is life you know that's come clear. on. Um, and so I feel very, I mean, very loved by both of them, very cared for. I mean, girl, I ain't got to worry about nothing. Like they, they got me. Um, now, now these other niggas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and, you know, because being femme is wild, you know, I look, I look, I was on Grindr today. Oh, stop. (laughs) And you know, they, you know, they always, you know, some of them will hit the fam up and you'll read their profile and it's like only into masks. Masks where, girl? Oh. Mask. 
<laughs> the one you wearing to get not Miss Rona, right? Okay, that's the only mask. Right, like mask wear, and then and, and then you know there's there's like the racial polarization, but like ooh, just your life. Um, so I'll say, do I need these thinkers? Well, I like having sex with them. I don't know if I need them. I have a beauty. I have a beautiful community of friends. Um, mm-hmm. And now I used to fuck my friends, so I guess I shouldn't say who. who that's because we're friends, and I said they we ain't fucking. But, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, I probably get some tonight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like. I... <laughs> Let me just say, it must be nice. It must be nice. <laughs> But what I but my thought process about like of course congratulations on having two partners I think that's beautiful because me even dealing with one is just me sitting here just like it, it look it, it is a lot of work it a is, lot of energy it is trying <laughs> it is exasperating so and I I I wanted I want to ask this as well in addition to that so in in this sphere of like dating and stuff like that are you going to try if you haven't already are you going to try to um, introduce both your partners to your family. Mm, the, so it's because <laughs> you know black people they go they already gonna be giving you like. <laughs> I was like, well, here. What? Yes, I would. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the. I don't know. I've never. I've never really considered it mm-hmm. because you know both my partners live in other places than I do, and you know I haven't lived in Chicago in so long. Um, but I think I would, you know, I would say my family is like universally extra. Like, so it's, <laughs> I don't even necessarily, well, when I say my family, I mean like my mom, my siblings and my grandparents, my like immediate mm-hmm. family. Like, um, you know, I talk about people I'm dating. Um, I think it would not be a big deal. I think it would be a big deal around like if I was a physically affectionate with that person, mm-hmm. I think it would make them uncomfortable, but my general stance would be like, you can get over it. Like, what let me just say my thing is like i ain't doing this like you know i'm gay but you ain't never got to see a shit like whatever that means right like right. it like that's a done deal and i'll just never speak to you again like when i came out i was ready to never speak to my family ever again hmm. and there are some people in my family who i don't talk to anymore right because it's like well i ain't changing who i am and so yeah, I think if the time is right, the price is right, the energy is good. I mean, my family is extra. I would be worried about introducing anybody to my family. Like, <laughs> like my grand, you know, people say I ain't got a filter. I was like, girl, you ain't met my family. Like, that, like they ain't got a filter. They will my drag God. you. They will drag you. And you'll drag, be and drag in your in your face. And you'll be sitting there like, damn. Like, like, you, like my family will eat you up. Okay, like, I don't. <laughs> so... Who knows? Child, because I will, I, I sit there sometimes just be, I just be thinking like, I need a, I'm going to need a man and, you know, I'm just going to need one that's going to be able to stand on his own too. Like, I don't need you to be getting in there and being all bashful and shy. I need you to let them have it because they finna let you have it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You need to be able to, you need, right? Like, and I think my family does respond, like, <laughs> response to confidence, funny, witty banter, right? I mean, it's where I, it's where I learned it from. Uh, but, but it's like, I think one of my partners would be deeply, I think they both would be deeply awkward because they're kind of like shy, introverted people. Both of them are. <laughs> um, and 
So I don't know. It's it's kind of funny to think about because you know, in anticipation of moving back home soon, mm-hmm. I do imagine they, you know, my partners will meet my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I but I gotta I gotta explain polyamory first, I guess. That's yeah. kind of first things first, huh? Because <laughs> they'll be sitting there like, wait, 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 wait. wait. You got two of them. You got two, right? You got two, and they wouldn't even know what to even do with that. Oh, channel. They're gonna be like, and I was like telling my mama, she was like, "Well, I was like, I don't know, you know about it yet. It's just two of them." <laughs> she like, no, what two, two, oh, baby? I wouldn't even be able to have that conversation and stuff like that. So that's I, I applaud you again for having like. Uh, having more partners and stuff like that more than one which is the you know the traditional idea i guess i i fell prey and my best friend dexter i think you know dexter he always he always is just like why you limit yourself or just be like because i want my i want my fantasy and i'm I'm probably going down that hill i already know it but well well, go ahead and do it right that's your hill do whatever you want on it i tell people too well i also think people think being poly is like some radical love formation like that shit can be abusive and fucked up too like that shit ain't inherently any better than monogamy girl people be all kind of like oh we got to release ourselves from monogamy girl how about you release yourself from being a bad partner how about you worry about that first (laughs) (laughs) How about you worry about that? How like, about you work on that first, boo boo, before we come over here and try to talk about what we do? Right, like you know, so you know, people, yeah, I do all the time. Like, girl, being poly, it's all, it, it, and it's a lot of work. Like, I think part of it too is like it is, but you know, I treat, I don't treat my romantic and platonic relationships very differently mm-hmm. because you know that's just not my gig. Um, but like all relationships to me are deep, important, meaningful, transformative. Mm-hmm. grounding beautiful painful hard work and um that's why now i'm like shit i can't do a third partner even if i do want one girl well what time and energy like i got these two Where? partners i have like these close friends i'm good i'm great i'm set <laughs> like- I'm, 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 and so this is this i'm on the same kind of thing where i'm just like my friendships have so much gravity i'm like if i got a man that would be great but i'm just like if one of my friends want to move into just being my man i would be okay with that like i would right. i would be like you could just be him like i, I call dexter one of my men anyway so i'm just like you're just gonna be my man it's fine <laughs> it's fine just be that like that's what i need you to be because ain't nobody gonna understand or get what i'm talking about so i just need you to do that right. <laughs> Well, and I do think um, one of the things I will say, I think we have been taught so much to look for different things in our friend, in our platonic relationships, in our romantic relationships. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like, why? Right? Because if what, why would I want? Yeah, I want someone who's like my friends. What the fuck? Like, these are the people I kick it with. Like, you know, these are people who are my ride or die, so I have intentionally formed my life around why would I want something dramatically different in a romantic partner? Like, uh, mm, like that has always been weird to me. I'm like, oh, I don't know what that's about. Well, that, well that's about how our culture constructs things. I, I think I've learned that over time where it's just like, if I'm not your friend first, then we're not going to have nothing to stand on. Like, that's one of my biggest things. It's like, if we can't even just like have simple joys and conversations, it's like, what do my, me and my best friends do? Then we're not going to go nowhere. Like, that's just what right. it is for me. And I think that people have glorified and made it be like, oh, it's so easy for y'all to be queer. I'm just like, girl, do you know what it's like? You, just, me- you just mentioned Grinder earlier, and I just went like, yeah. do I even you want to begin to think about it and stuff like that? So speaking of Grinder in that in that vein, like there are obvious, I, I think there's this powerful misconception. And when I mean powerful, I mean like, I don't know why everybody believes this, but 
there's this there's this thing about like about black people not being able to be queer in some kind of space, queer or trans. Like I think a lot of cis have black people think that like you they're mutually exclusive in the sense mm-hmm. that you can't be both at the same time. And then like mm-hmm. that it, it's just baffling. So what do you have to say about that? I'm like, these people saw my hallway a while and I was like, oh. okay. <laughs> uh, I was like, did I was they like, freak? Um well, our first thing is, yeah, here I am, oh. being both at the same time. Like, let, period. Let's. Eh, so, so now what? Um, but I also, okay, so my non-flippant answer, but um, I think one of my greatest pains um, around my identity was I really thought for a long time I had to choose mm. between being black and queer. Mm. And for me, and maybe because I was just raised by black people, like I was like, well, I'm going to be queer because, you know, that was the site of the trauma and pain, mm. right? Um, and I internalized a lot of anti-blackness, Ooh. like a lot. Let me not undersell how hostile to other black people I was mm. my first year at NIU, particularly, mm. right? Like, um, and so I really thought I had to choose, and that was hard. And I made the choice. You know, I'm so Type A and a hard-headed bitch. I was like, well, I'm gonna just choose this thing. <laughs> and and you know, I have you know, I'm an Audrey Lord stan. Um, yes, you know, so as I, you got to shout out Audrey Lord. But, you know, and I experienced uh, some some hurt at NIU even because, you know, I ended up taking this cutie pie class and it was like, I think mo- all black queer people, a lot of those people had really strong black identities, but were trying to make sense of their queerness. Mm-hmm. And mine was kind of the opposite. Like I had a very strong politicized queer identity mm-hmm. and I was trying to make sense and politicize my blackness mm-hmm. with that. And folks weren't ready to deal with, like, they were used to the other other kind of way of engaging. Right. And so for me, it became like, well, I can be both. Being both is powerful. We have a history, Black, queer, and trans people have a powerful history. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Audre has an essay um, called There's No Hierarchy of Oppression that people misunderstand all the time. I won't get into that gig, but <laughs> that people misunderstand all the time. But basically, you know, she speaks to the fact that anytime gay and lesbians, in her words, are under attack. Black people are under attack. Mm -hmm. Anytime black people are under attack, gay and lesbians are under attack because there are black gay lesbians, right? right? Like, there we are, like, so, you know, this is why, you know, these anti-trans bills are so important to think about and, you know, naming earlier around this disproportional impact on black trans children Mm -hmm. will be severe because, you know, you know, it's like, well, trans people are under attack and by extension, black people are under attack because any law, let me, let this be clear. Be clear. Any law that's passed in this country will hurt black people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> any law like that passed in this country, and that includes hate slam, hate crime laws. Don't get like okay, this will upset some liberals. Mm-hmm. But right, like this includes hate crime laws, right? That purport to protect marginalized people. So it is like. We don't have to choose as the first message. Mm-hmm. There's power in not choosing. And that, like, I, you know, um, speaking of higher education and student affairs, this often shows up as, like, oh, the university cares more about um, queer students than black students. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, there, there is, and when I say literally no research to suggest that I've read, to suggest that universities care about queer and trans people, mm-hmm. let's be clear, black and non-black. And all the research says, y'all hate us. Right. Because there is no research. 
Right, but what that also does is suggest that black and queer are mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Right, Bell Hooks has a quote where she says, like, you know, no one has been socialized out of existence as much as black women. Because when we say black, we mean black men. When we say women, we mean white women. Same for black queer and trans folks. Mm-hmm. Right, you say queer, white. You say black, cis hat. Right. And so, it's fucking weird. I mean, I'm like, you know, it's it's one of those things that I constantly have to struggle with some some of my cis hat black colleagues mm-hmm. because you're like, yet here my black gay ass is. Sitting right here in front of you, having a full-fledged conversation with you, and you just, I and, and so like I'm sure like um you were talking about the anti-trans bill, so thank you for being bringing that up because it's literally plaguing the country, and we just and I just want to be clear that you know it's plaguing the country because people haven't done any research, they don't know nothing, they just making this just to make it because they because they can't feasibly attack gay people anymore, so to speak. Because now that they got their marriage, they're just like, okay, who's next, girl? You know, and so... Right, girl. So we... Well, yeah, well, you know, these anti-trans bills and the sports piece is critical too, right? Because, I mean, we see how people react to Serena Williams. And, right. like, I'm forgetting this track star's name. Um, but we see how black cis black women athletes often experience anti-trans discourses and violences, mm-hmm. right, because of the way that blackness, right, notions of black and woman don't match, don't right. make sense, right, in our discourse, right? Mm-hmm. So Serena William gets a fine for grunting as if all these white women aren't running around grunting and sign for their life too, right? Um, there's a video of Venus Williams, I think she had beads mm-hmm. um, in her braids, which were beautiful, and they were click, click, clacking, like, beads do and they were saying that's distracting but a crowd applauding isn't distracting you know so that's what i say like that's what that's what people don't people be out here acting wild i'm like when i say you think this anti-trans stuff isn't about us as black people and you're wrong right and you're wrong and and so and that's also why i'm think i think like a lot of people like when it comes to like you talking about serena williams but i also talk about like megan the stallion I think yes. that I think that she has literally like been the subject of like anti-trans everything, and people don't want to recognize that, and that's because, like you said, a blackness is a, is associated with this aggression, this power, this dominance, and womanhood is not that because it's been associated with white womanhood, which is, you know, I'm gonna cry as soon as you say something to me, so I could be the victim, mm-hmm. and blackness doesn't merge with that very well. So when when Megan's just existing in her space, and then she's just tall, statuesque. She got body yadi 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 yadi. The girls are pressed, and they just like, well, she obviously a man. It's just like, wild. I'm like, Wait, I mean, they did the same thing to Sierra, right? And it was kind of wild because I was like, making the sounds one of the most sexiest women I've ever seen in my life. I was like, I don't like. I was like, I don't. I was like, okay. And so was Serena, mm-hmm. baby. Serena and Beyonce and the um, it's not sorry, is it? Um. And the sorry video, mm-hmm. baby Serena Williams popping and twerking around in that room. I was like, bad bitch. Oh, and I have to shout out little Olympia because what an icon in the making. <laughs> oh, she, she oh, mm-hmm. she's gonna be so. I'm like, this. I, I need Blue Ivy Carter. I need little Olympia. I just yes, need. I, I need. I need. I need Sierra's. Ba- I need all these black women's babies just to, to eat us up. Just, just. I need y'all to to grow up and wear us the fuck out. I want to be like fifty and be like, yeah. I'm about to be. I'm. A, I mean. I mean. Blue Ivy already a vocalist with a Grammy. Okay. The girls can't. The girls can't be bothered. <laughs> 
carrying, and I'm just like, oh, like. Okay, you see Olympia just be on the court, like, I was like, you better come on, Olympia, okay? Baby, and I, and I live, ugh, I'm so proud, but I'm just like, these anti-trans things, like you said, are just completely woven into that, and about the sports and all that kind of stuff. Like, I'm not no scientist and stuff, so I can't speak on all the things and stuff like that, but I'm like, these mm-hmm. kids, let these kids play. Like let, let these kids, the, let, come on, let these kids play well. And science is racist and transphobic too, right? This is you know this is a, this is another lie that higher education has helped perpetuate that science is some neutral, unvalued thing. Girl, please, let let these kids play, right? Okay, and if your daughter can't keep up, that's on you. And and that and that's and that's my thing. I think there should be a certain level of balance, and they need to figure out what that's going to be, rather than just like they can't play at all, and it's just like. Well, girl, uh, anyway, that's that just irritates me. So I'm going to just kind of bring it back to just niggas, just a little bit with this tandem okay. in here. Oh, yeah, that's where we that's where we started, huh? Yeah, and I, Honestly, we avoided talking about it. I, I tried to avoid it, but it's... <laughs> I, but I do want I do want to kind of talk about just their part in this. I think that yeah. black men particularly, I think they are mm. very complicit in all of this. I think that they definitely sit there and just be like, okay, as long as I don't do nothing, I'm going to be okay. And, I, and I'm just like, no, I need y'all to be doing the most and y'all are not doing anything. And that bothers mm. me because I, and, and, and there's a part of me that definitely understands because you're a black person, you go, you you marginalized and you feel this pressure. Mm-hmm. But the only thing that's keeping you from not being marginalized is you being black, like you that close. It's the same thing with like mm-hmm. white women. The the one thing that's keeping you from being marginalized is that you a woman. Like there are like these thin little lines that's keeping you from there. So you so close that you can taste it. I'm like I'm gonna need you to reach down and pull up the people that's under that you're supposed to technically be helping and pulling up and leading mm-hmm. and stuff. So I wanted to know your thoughts about trying to get black men to be more active and not being compl- complicit in all the stuff that's happening around ex- and things mm. until things that affect them or whatever. So, yeah, you know, I think privilege comes and power is so slippery when we talk about any black person. And I think for me, like what I, I don't, uh, there's something ab- about in. Intra, intra community violence mm-hmm. who has power in black institutions mm-hmm. right so who, so who has power in rap and hip-hop who has powers at, in like hbcus mm-hmm. right um obama became you know the head killer in charge of u.s empire mm-hmm. um and so um and so it you know because James Baldwin talks about this, right? Well, like white gays too, around like it's so close. Your access to whiteness is so close, mm-hmm. right? Your access to the full benefits of whiteness, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for black men in some ways, cis have black men, girl shit, cis gay men too. Cis gay, I mean, look, Ooh, ain't that special and different either, yeah. right? But that you are so like, you, like there's this feeling like there's a failed promise of the act, the full access to what it means to be a man mm-hmm. that you're being denied. And we have to be honest about the violence that happens in communities. Now, the issue, mm-hmm. right, is that because of anti-black logics, we get black-on-black crime discourse. Right. But Frank, right, most crime is committed in communities, and because we live in a segregated world and state in the country, most violence that happens um, from a racial group is another is their racial group. So, okay, debunk right. all that. Now, I, and that, 
and I'll probably try to stay in my lane because I'm not a trans woman, but like, because I'm just like, look, I, you're like, yeah, whatever. I love, go but, ahead. Because, so, I'll, I, do you remember this trans attracted stuff when mm. people were like, black men need to come out as straight? And I was like, why? Like, because I was like, well, girl, you're a woman, this man is straight. Like, for me, it's that simple, mm. right? He a nigga. We bitches, he's straight. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if we want to just know. keep it gutter, like, he nigga, you right. bitch, like, boom, that's what it right. is. Right. That's my nigga. I'm his bitch. Okay, great. Like, wh- like so for me, it is this, um, is there shit, is there policing guilt, shame, and serious consequences of a cishet man dating and being with a black trans woman? Sure. Is that anything compared to the everyday violences of being a black trans person? No. No. Right? So let's change. Like, so that whole framing was weird for me. I also was like, what is this special orientation y'all trying to make? <laughs> Just right. because, like, yeah. we're, like, some of us are women, some of us are men, some of us are non-binary, a gender, you right. know, no gender, all gender. Like, and I, th- part of it is, you know, this is my struggle with my brothers, because good God Almighty. Bless your heart. Um, that there is a way um, that I think, and like, you know, I think I've been referencing Bell Hooks a lot, but... It's okay. <laughs> Bell Hooks and Patricia Hill Collins talks a lot, you know, because, you know, as feminists, we say patriarchy hurts everyone, mm-hmm. right? And that doesn't mean the impact of it is the same, but one of the things it does is it disconnects men from their emotions. Right and their beings it prevents men from forming authentic deep bonds with other men mm-hmm. to do the work of untangling um their anti-trans beliefs mm-hmm. and it falls on those of us who are black and trans to do that work in labor right because right? people are like black men are going to be cared for and love well girl no one said they don't right what like who who do, who do you think has been loving black men up until this point not other black men we'll wait you know so right. it, so it, I mean, it's so complicated and messy shit. I mean, I don't even know if I have the words yet, but it's like, because, you know, I think because of how black communities function and our close bonds that we formed for survival, thriving, and joy, mm-hmm. that there's like almost this belief that just because we are both black, that there's not a cost of me engaging and teaching and bringing along mm-hmm. that I should be happy to do it at my own detriment and that, you know, trans people should be. And so, you know, I hate to say go back to reading, but we, like niggas got to read, right? Because, <gasps> right, like there are so many niggas in jail. Right? Okay, look, here's my last thing. There are so many niggas in jail, mm-hmm. right? And we should be abolitionists. We can talk about that when we get to the future part. But, right, but... um. So many, and I believe this, black people in general, but black men are radicalized in prisons, mm-hmm. um, partly because of the confinement, which is hostile and violent, and we should eradicate all jails and prisons in the carceral state. But we know I've got to sit down and you ain't got shit to do, but but read a book, mm-hmm. talk to another nigga across from you. Mm-hmm. That does something. Now, what it does, I'm not sure completely, right? Because I've, I haven't been incarcerated, but like, so... I be trying to be like, you got, 
Girl, we gotta read. Like you attracted <laughs> and, to this black trans woman, girl. You still straight? And, that's and, a woman. She a woman. And this and this is my thing. And then this was in one of our previous episodes, and actually a few previous episodes. I talked to different trans, um, different um, men who are trans attracted or trans amorous or however you want to frame it. Uh, they're okay. cis head black men. So I've had at least three episodes on the podcast so far about this. And my biggest consensus that I've been telling them and that they all agree to is that they have to do the work. They don't want to do it. They just want to exist and be comfortable. And I and I already know this information. And then mm. I always tell people, like, particularly the men that, like, you have been incarcerated who are more likely than not probably from disenfranchised areas. And then more so than that, they what we like to classify as, like, hood niggas. Hood niggas right. ain't going to go out there and try to read. They just want to react. They just want to react because that's what the world has given to them. They haven't found the value and no one has informed them of the value of, of, of gaining knowledge and stuff like that without the structural institution of like education. Like you don't need that. You can pick up a book. You can go listen to an audio. You can do whatever you need to do to get the information. And one thing that I always tell them is like, y'all have to do that work. You have to read. You have to become more knowledgeable because you like this girl. So if, for example, someone likes me, I need you to come with like, I would say like 75% of that have figured out like, right. and I know that's yeah. just, and, and I, but I think what happens a lot of the time, and I think Diamond Styles, shout out to Diamond Styles said this, and I thought it was so eloquent how she said it. It's like how much long suffering can black women deal with is like, that's what gives them value. Mm. Are you going to hold me down while I'm in jail? Okay. Are you going to hold me down while I try to figure out and educate and you educate me about all this stuff? I don't want to do it. But I'm going to let you teach me how to do it. Or it's mm. like, or even something as simple as like, when it's holiday time, if black men are supposed to be leading everything, how come they're not making all these meals? How come they're not cooking? How come mm. they never want to go to their uncle or their good or or they, or they homeboy house? They want to go to their mom or their auntie they, or their grandma right, house. Yeah. Because you know that's who's going to take care of you. It just seems like they just complicit in the fact that they just want a woman to take care of them and to do all the work for them. And that's personally what bothers me about men who are attracted to trans women and they don't want to do that work. So this is how come like all these things get fucked up and it just really irritates me and baffles my mind. Mm. Well, first off, where the hood niggas at? <laughs> where the hood niggas at? I'm looking for the I, I, hood. I'm looking for the hood niggas. Um, <laughs> I think um, you know, this, but this is part of the gender stuff. This is part of the gender stuff and how it operates, right? Right? Because because um, I think you mentioned like you know hood niggas, and I would say all men are mm. taught to react, right? Mm. Because patriarchy teaches men that that's what men do, and that's what and that's what patriarchy values mm. is reaction. Mm-hmm. And we can get to we can get into a capitalist analysis as well, right? But patriarchy does not value, and capitalism does not value pausing, thinking, stopping, reflection, right? right? Go 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 do 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 and this is even a problem in the academy right like you know increased publishing standards is like write 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 post post publish do 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 tweet 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 right okay comment 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 post 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 uh a national event happens have your think piece ready the next day right we live in such a production Mm -hmm. and that becomes internalized to our emotions right like and this is some deep work i'm still engaged in like proactively because even for myself right I was taught to react, go, respond quickly, think quickly. And and I think what that leaves little to no space for is deep self-reflection, right? right? Because I think if 
you I, you know and because for me too it's like what is it about us as black trans people where what do we think these men publicly loving us is going to do to solve anti-trans violence right like mm-hmm. i get we experience a lot of violence from our intimate partners and that's like a fraction of it there's so much other violences and so i think we also have to be in deep conversation with each other around what we think these men publicly loving us mm-hmm. or saying they're attracted to us is going to solve and not solve like right. because I would argue it's going to solve very little to end the violence against black trans women and femmes. Right. It, right. And, and I, I agree. I'm glad that you said that. Cause I thinking about it now, I'm just like, it really won't solve too much of anything unless they, unless it's extremely radical. Like it needs to be extremely radical to, in order for it to really make some drastic changes, but continue. Well, and there's power in being publicly loved. Right. Mm-hmm. So let me, I don't want to undersell that. Mm-hmm. Right, there is, I mean, Cornell West, right, was like, justice is love in public or something is the quote. Mm-hmm. Like, so I don't want to undersell the powerful transformative work of a nigga publicly loving you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, because girl, yes. Because I, I do want to push through one day with a piece and be like, that's right, girls. And Right! <laughs> and for that person to unapologetically love all of who you are, mm-hmm. including in and beyond being trans, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's all so critical and that's partly why i mean like this is because you know i'm I'm a systems and structural thinker so like part of me always goes there but it's like what as black trans people do we really want Mm. when we say i want this man to probably love me right because that's powerful Mm -hmm. and i think there's always something deeper there right that's more specific to what we want because part of this is like and what and what i try to think about too well I am loved publicly by other black, queer, and trans people all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's a radical public love. Right. When you said that, it kind of just made me go like, what kind of value are we placing in masculinity, in the patriarch, so so Mm -hmm. to speak, to validate Mm -hmm. me and my experience? It's like, if, if a man doesn't say like, this is okay, or I love you, am I less valuable now? Or is it interpreted and perceived that way? And I might have just read myself, and I don't like that I just did that. <laughs> I really don't like that I just did that. <laughs> yeah, but, like, once again, that's the messiness we need to be in with each other mm-hmm. to figure that out. Right. Because I think there is something there about the valid, right? Because, once again, womanhood only has meaning and validation if it's affirmed by men and masculinity in our culture, right? In our culture, it's not often enough for some people that other trans femmes and women affirm us in our womanhood and femininity. Because other people, girl, girl, fuck what a man say, how I look. Is the other black trans bitch gassing me up, right? Like you did at the opening of this, of of our conversation. That's validation that's so critically important. And when, you know, when a little five piece tray do it too, it's like, oh, that's, oh, like, I, I, I must be fish, right? I must be really, Baby. I, must really gotta, I must really be having it going on. Right. And we have to have spaces to talk about that with each other to piece it apart a bit because mm. it's complicated, right? Because, yeah, we deserve to be loved loudly, unapologetically, and fiercely. And we deserve to be protected. We deserve not to be hidden mm. and put into corners and closets and only fucked in the bedroom and never taken out to be seen and adored upon. Yes, yes, yes. Girl, I'm right there with you. You better preach. You better preach because you about to, oh, Lord. 
let's get to this last little section so we can go ahead and wrap this up because we I feel like we could talk forever. So let's go ahead and wrap this. I right mean, up. we could we could talk forever, right? That's how we do. That's how we do with each other. We can talk forever, baby. Let me go ahead and wrap this all up. Okay, so before we sit here for two hours and have <laughs> a, a mile-long conversation, can you tell us about your future endeavors? What do you have planned? I think you mentioned something, but, like, what do you have planned? Maybe workshops, mm-hmm. other stuff? What do you have going on? Um, I just launched my website, which I'm excited. It was two years in the making. Yeah. It's from um So, you know, that's that. That has a lot of stuff on it, on, like, what I'll be up to. I'm a PhD student. I'm finishing up my first year, allegedly. Hopefully, I got, <laughs> hopefully I got some, these final papers to get in. And I'm excited to get back to on-the-ground movement work. So I recently became, well, in November, I became a, a national member of BYP 100. Um, yeah! Yeah, and, and so that's really exciting. You know, I'm really, I'm, I'm looking, you know, the, the academy is so very much. Um, and so I'm looking forward to getting back on the ground in movement spaces. I have a couple of book chapters coming out mm-hmm. uh, about whiteness in higher education and queer stuff and mm-hmm. anti-blackness and queer stuff and solid colonialism and queer stuff. Um, so those should be out. I mean, with, with academic publishing, who knows? But <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy and so proud that you're doing all of these things. I think it's just this is the kind of stuff that needs to be done and needs to be pushed out and like magnified as much as possible. And it just needs to reach the people that it needs to reach and in order to really make these changes. And so I remember when I was at NIU and I, and I caught myself doing like a speech in comms and I was like, I'm going to do a queer speech and did it. I thought I was that girl. And they would, and they paid it. Like the whole, the whole classroom, the whole classroom was sitting there like, and so, you know, they kind of didn't like they were supposed to. But then afterwards, the teacher was like, let me talk to you real quick, girl. And I was like, okay, whatever, whatever. And she's like, I love your speech, da 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 And I was just like, I just want to change people's, not even change people's minds, but like, I want to plant a seed. And she said, that's what you did. You may not have changed people's minds completely, but what you did is you humanize yourself for these people. Mm. Because they only see, like, because, you know, at the time, or in, in this scape, it's just like homosexual or the antiquated right. term, of course, transsexual. Everything is about the sexual aspect. So in my mm-hmm. speech, what I talked about essentially was how, you know, there was anti-gay um, legislation at the time or anti-queer wow, legislation. Yeah. And so I talked about all those things and how you couldn't see your partners in hospital spaces because you didn't have access to all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so she was like, I feel like people didn't in the room didn't know that. I'm like, I'm sure they didn't know it either. I'm sure they didn't. I think I gave a similar speech about gay stuff in comms. Come on, NIU. Come on. <laughs> let, let me find, let us find that we have the same teacher and, and everything. I, that would be a gag. <laughs> but I, I, I think what you're doing is that exact same thing. It's like, I had to rationalize and having conversations with many people and they were just like, you know you can't change the world by yourself. I'm like, I'm not trying to change the world. I just want to make sure that the seeds that I'm sowing are going to blossom into beautiful trees and floral and all that kind of stuff in the future right. for, for the my culture, for my people and stuff like that. So I think you're doing the same thing. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, it's so hard because there is, you know, the, the work is hard mm-hmm. and painful at times, you yeah. know, 
you know, I'm a black queer person at work who often host, has to hold space for black students, mm-hmm. right? Um, this summer with the uprisings, contemporarily, you know, we have to write statements about seven Asian women who were executed in Atlanta. Mm. And those, and I'm not removed from those things. And so for me, it's like, cause I'm not, I'm not a hopeful bitch. Like that's not like, I'm just not that way. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is for me at least something like, it can't be this bad always. Right. And if I can make it even a little bit less shitty for the next girl coming through, right. like that's it. Because I don't want someone to have to spend the bulk of their life struggling to reconcile being black and queer because they didn't have a model or they didn't know or they didn't know that we existed as all things always Mm. because it did just fucking suck Mm. right like like, and so yeah i don't know like i think it's it's and i and i say for me people are always like i mean you're so brave and all these things i'm just living my life right you know like as corny as that sounds it's like that's that's all i can do like I don't want to have to reduce who I am into digestible bits mm. for anybody. And that's so much of what oppression wants us to do. Right. I And, and I resonate with that 1000%. They, like you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, they want a piece of a fraction of what you have going on. The black people want the black part of you. You go to the function, you go to the cookout. They're like, yes, you black. And they, and they welcome you. You, you kiki, you cackle, you talk about all this shit that black people be like to talk about. When you go to the queer space, you like they want that queerness part of you, and you just like great, da da da. I'm, I'm kiki and we having fun and la la la, and that's great and that's fantastic. So it's just like I when those places converge, is it feels so warm and it feels so safe, and that's what that's the kind of energy I want to radiate throughout. Because I know when I'm around um, black queer people, that's when I literally find myself to be the most at ease and most comfortable, and I can have. Uh, conversations yeah. and stuff. I don't find myself policing what I'm going to say when I'm in black spaces. Because if I, if you call somebody sis, cis, they'd be ready to get bent out of shape about it. Or, right. or, or a girl, baby. right? You like call a man girl? <laughs> oh, that's one of my. And trust me, everyone's a woman. I'd be on the. <laughs> right, I'd be like, she did this. She, she did, did that. this. Girl, I'm a cis man. Like, a whole grown, like, I'd be talking to these six, six niggas, and I'd just be like, girl, stop. Don't play with me. Right. And then my friends would be like, that's not, I'm like, she look, and leave her alone, and she's fine, whatever. And I'm just like, I don't want to have to deal with that ramifications of you not understanding my language and stuff like that. So when we, in, like, the black queer spaces, like, even though it's detrimental and it's bad for my mental health, but it's fun sometimes, Clubhouse. <laughs> yeah. When I be on Clubhouse, <laughs> baby, sometimes I'm just sitting there, and I find these rooms, I'll just be like, oh, Thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Like, I feel like safe. Right. Like, we all have the same language, understand each other. Like, this is great. And so I want that space to to be everywhere. I don't want to just wait for these um, fleeting, overlapping moments. Like, I want it to be much bigger than what it is, so. Yeah. Well, and and I think that's so much what I try to embody. Like, mm-hmm. I'm bringing all of me everywhere. Period. I don't care what... Right, because here's the thing. Like, I, I go to cisgender black spaces. I'm the fag I am everywhere. I go to white gay spaces. I'm still the nigga I am everywhere. And, you know, there is, you know, and for me, that just has to be what I do because I ain't got time to think about it that hard anymore. Like, I, well, I'm sorry, I don't have time. I don't want to spend my energy thinking about it that hard. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because, you know, I was talking to (laughs) to my brothers and granddad and I'll be like, girl, this and girl, that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they get bent out of shape. Well, it's like, well, I just stopped coming around here. Like, I'm not, right, because it's like, I'm not doing all this with you. Mm -hmm. 
Like, I call everybody girl, okay? Like, you know, like... It, well, now, if it's a trans person, they like, don't call me girl because of misgender and stuff. Different energy. Right. But, right, but I call everybody girl and sis. Okay, I literally, I literally refer to everyone as she. Like, I mean, like... I, uh, like I'd be having to catch myself purposely. I'd be like, ooh, mm, don't, ooh, girl. Yeah. I'd be like... But it's exa- but that's that's part of the daily exhaustion of being black, queer, and trans. That it's like, I got girl, look, you look, I'll just stop speaking to you. Mm-hmm. And you know, I you know, I hope every black queer and trans person feel empowered to just be like, I'm just not speaking to you anymore. Right. You know, um, being mindful of survival and, you know, financial and access to our networks. But it's like Pooch like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even at even at work, it's hard because you know I be in meetings and I'll be like, let's get to the gap. You know, I'll be whoop, you know, whoop you do like, come on, girl, let's come on because you're wasting time. So it's like, right, Miss Mom. You know, my favorite is saying Miss Mamas, but Miss Mamas. (laughs) And you know they be gagging, but it's like. I don't want to have to code switch this way. Like, I don't want to... And, and and that's what I think people need to start letting people show up in all kinds of spaces and, and be exactly who they are because the thing about it is it's just like, I think Bob the Drag Queen said this and I think it was very resonant with me. It's just like, a man from Texas can wear a 10-gallon hat, have a big old buckle, come in and say, hey, y'all, how y'all doing? But then let me come in and be like, hey, y'all, how y'all doing, girl? Da-da-da-da. And it's just like, now the tables are like... Totally tight. I'm just like, what's different? And I'm just, and they don't really have any sound answers. They're like, don't call me that. Don't call me that. And it's just like, okay, I don't have to do that. I, to me, I don't have to call you anything that you don't want to be called because I want you to respect me in that way. But if you're going to go out of your way just to, it's very all lives matter in this way where they're just like, well, I'm just going to call you your dad name if you're going to call me girl. I'm just like, okay, so you being malicious. I came in just being myself. That's the, right. that, you being malicious. So that's just rude and d- disrespectful. See, mine was fun and it was kiki and da 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 da. And now that uh-huh. you told me, I'm not going to do that with you. But if you keep on doing, uh, 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 uh. yeah. Well, and and the implications are different, right? Because when right. you invoke a trans person's dead name, that's anti-trans violence. Right. We're calling you girl by accident, maybe because I call everybody girl. Like those aren't comparable. Because you know, when I first started doing trainings, people would be like, "Well, well, sometimes like I have a high voice and oh, I have a deep voice, and I'm a woman, and sometimes they think I'm a man." And blah, blah, I get it, girl. That's not the same. Shut up. <laughs> like, <laughs> the same as the trans person's experience on the phone girl shut up baby i'm just like i'm like it can be upsetting and frustrating but it's definitely not the same trust me when you get to the gig and get to the function they're not gonna give you the third degree trust me right so yeah i mean i think there's you know i have been thinking of my work primarily around kind of creating possibilities Mm -hmm. because i think you know one i mean what oppression does is is it limits possibilities it limits our livability you know it limits um who we know ourselves to be and how we connect with others and so for me it's all about creating possibilities where that's one-on-one in a conversation like this with a group at an institutional level or a society level like how how am i living my life in such a way where I'm creating possibilities for myself and hopefully others. Mm, no, I love that. And that's 
we 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 gonna kind of put a little bow on it right there before we get before we get too much crazy. I don't want to hold Romeo. They have things to do. They got they got papers to write and stuff. I have a paper, yeah. I have a paper to write on Monday. I'm like, child. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> so can you please tell um our lovely listeners where they can find you on your social medias, the name of your website, and all that kind of stuff again. So the website is Romeo E. Jackson, R-O-M-E-O-E-J-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. Um, you, y'all can follow. Now, my Twitter and Instagram handle is the same, but you can't follow me on Instagram because that's private. But my t- <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is, is Black Queer Femme, but it's like B-L-A, Queer Femme. So like, you know, B-L-A, Queer Femme. Find me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much it. I ain't adding you on Facebook if I don't know you either. So that's Okay. Um, yeah, and so um, I, yeah, I think I like website, social media, as a place to find me, I guess. Yeah. In Vegas, if you see me out and about. <laughs> I don't go nowhere, though. You a homebody, that's probably a good thing. I'll be at home, yeah. People be coming to Vegas. They be like, Romeo, like, where should we go kick it up? Like, girl, I don't know. I don't go nowhere. <laughs> So I want to thank you so much for being here. I, it's so funny because like I think I mentioned earlier is that we went to school together, but we like was in the same area and the same energy and the same speed, but we like hardly even talked to each other. We did. Uchao, Neptune North, okay? Baby. Let's, <laughs> let's take it back. Yeah, I used to see you with Dexter and Mikey all the time. And I'd be like, oh, I didn't, you know, I was, I mean, I, I'm still awkward, but I didn't, I don't, I never knew how to say hi. I was like, I don't know how to say hi. I, I, I don't know how to I know how to do it now because I'm annoying and outlandish but back then I just stumbled into it so I got blessed so I was like thank you Jesus <laughs> what you know Dexter and Mikey are so extroverted you, you got yeah <laughs> those are my baby shout out to Dexter shout out to Mikey <laughs> and so um, I just want to I'm going to put all your description all the stuff in the description your website your links and thank all that you, kind of stuff so they can you. find it and then, you know, I want to, again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate everything that you had to say, all the, all the wisdoms, all the gems that you dropped. I felt, I feel so invigorated. I want to keep talking, but I need to stop. So <laughs> I'm going to stop and let you get to your work. And so thank, thank you. you again. Thanks for having me. Of course. And we will see you on another episode of Black to the Future. Thank y'all so much. Bye. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Black to the Future. Yes, thank you for joining us. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black to the Future Podcast. And don't forget to use the hashtag Black to the Future Podcast as well. Share the content and please leave positive reviews. Yeah, all that. <laughs> and we will see y'all in the future. Don't you mean Black to the Future? Oh, I guess you're right. We'll see y'all black to the future. future.